Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. This morning, I want to uh, continue our series, but before we do, I want to I want to take a moment to just be transparent with you. If you've been here a while, you know kind of what you see is what you get. We're real people. We're open. We're vulnerable. And so uh, I, I just want to tell you this, that I've been teaching God's Word in some, some fashion for more than 25 years. And over those 25 years, outside of brief moments here and there, I, I've never taught on the subject of, of giving. I've never taught on the subject of money or finances. And this has partially been due to who I was preaching to because I was a youth pastor for a lot of years. But the other part of that is since I've become a senior pastor, uh, there have been times where I've been overly concerned about being misunderstood if I talk about money. And, uh, you know, the thoughts that have kind of bombarded me over the years is that, you know, if I talk about money, will people you know, think that the church is in financial trouble, you know, will they think that we're trying to uh, manipulate them because we're just trying to get their money? You know, how many times have I heard over the years people say the church just wants your money, right? It, you know, that if somebody comes in and once again, they don't know the context of, of what we've been preaching for years, that they may think that we are uh, people who buy into the prosperity gospel. And, and so I just want to take a moment to address those thoughts, if not for you, for myself, and just simply tell you that the answer to all those things is no, right? Like God has been incredibly faithful to us as a church. Uh, does every person that comes here give? The answer is no. But God has moved in enough people's hearts that we are grateful and we are blessed, right? And so uh, we're thankful for that because, what, because people so into this ministry allows us to do what we do. And, and secondly, I, I just kind of hope for my heart that we've been here long enough that y'all know us by now to know that we're not greedy people and our goal is not to manipulate you to get something from you. We, we were felt called here to serve you, and that's why we're here. Amen? So, so the reason uh, we are doing what we're doing in this series is because a handful of mature believers in our church have encouraged me to remember that over the past couple of years, people have come, they're new to the faith, and, and there's been other people who have come that even though they've been to church for many, many years, they've never been taught what the Word of God has to say about finances. And so to their point is if, if I, you know, as the pastor of this church, failed to teach the biblical principles, you know, of giving, then I'm potentially standing in the way of you being blessed by God. And uh, because God's blessings come when we know those promises, and then we actually follow those promises. And so really when it comes to this topic, wherever you sit on it, man, it's no different than any other portion of the Bible. It doesn't matter if it's salvation, if it's faith, if it's repentance, if it's healing, if it's prayer, uh, if it's deliverance, whatever it is. At the end of the day, if I fail to teach that, then, then I'm hurting you. I'm not helping you. And so in light of that, if you could just kind of lean in with me today and understand that this series is not about getting something from you. It's really about getting God's blessings to you. So like I told you last week, kind of midstream, there is no bait and switch coming in this. I'm not going to sit up here and beg for money. I'm not going to tell you give $100 or we're going under, right? I'm, I'm, like, like, I'm not going to say any of that. Like, like, I just want you to know what the Bible says. And from that point on, it's between you and God, just like it is every week that I stand up here. I tell you what the Word of God says. I try my best not to give you Quentin. I try to give you what Jesus says. And then up from there, it's, it's, it's between you and him. Amen? All right, y'all ready? 
All right, so let's jump in. If you're taking notes today, uh, the title once again of this series is A Heart That Gives. This is part three. Through this series, what we're doing is we're kind of unpacking, we're digging into the Word of God because we want to know what He has to say about generosity because we know as followers of Christ uh, that, that God desires for each one of us to be generous, not only with our time, with our energy, with our talents and possessions, but also our finances. And it's because of this, the Apostle Paul actually instructed Timothy to teach these things to the believers that, that he was pastoring in the church of Ephesus. Let's listen to these two verses. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today, so you want to write them down. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17, 18 says, Command those who are rich in this present world, that's all of us, Okay, in comparison to the rest of the world, that is us. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Verse 18 is key. Command them, that's us, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Back a little bit, verse 6 Paul also said this, he says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself, contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. You see, through these verses, we understand that if you and I are actually going to uh, influence society the way God wants us to, then it's imperative that you and I are touched by the spirit of generosity and by the spirit of contentment. Like, I hope we understand that when we read the Bible, that God wants to bless us with more than we need. Right? Like, I hope you see that in the Bible. But, but the reason he wants to bless you is not so you can build yourself a bigger house or so you can drive a more expensive car or so you can wear fancier clothes or so you can somehow buy bigger and greater toys. The reason he blesses you is because, in turn, he wants you to turn around and to be a blessing to those around you. So in light of this, there's something that's got to get deep in our heart, and it's this, is that we have to understand that there has only been one financial or one economic system that God has ever given to the world. One. And that is the system of the tithe that he gave to the nation of Israel. So I, I realize that that phrase may be new to some people in the room. That word may be new. So, so let's begin by saying, what is the tithe? Let's answer that. The, the word tithe simply means this. It means a tenth. A tenth, that's what it means in Hebrew language. Or we could say this, that is 10% of our income. Now, if I was going to be more specific, it is 10 cents on every dollar that we earn. Therefore, if we get paid $10, our tithe is what? I know I'm not from Maine, but I think they taught y'all better math than that. I hope, right? If we get paid $10, I'll help you out, our tithe is a dollar. If we get paid $100, our tithe is $10. If we get paid $1,000, then our tithe is? Man, y'all learned math in church. That was awesome. All right. So, so notice it means a tenth. So there's no such thing as, as we tithe 3%, 5%, 7%. And there's no such thing that we tithe 20%. So, so understand that, that a tithe is 10% of our income that we give back to God. And if we give anything more than 10%, it's called an offering. Amen? So let me show you some verses from the Bible. Leviticus 27.30 says this. It says, And all the tithe, or the tenth part of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. Get that. It is 
the Lord's. It is holy. It is set apart. It is consecrated to the Lord. Now look at Proverbs 3 verse 9. It says, honor the Lord with what? With your wealth, with the first fruits. Somebody say first fruit. Of all your crops. Now, how did they honor the Lord with their first fruits or with their tithe? Look at Exodus 23, 19. It says, the best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring where? Into the house of the Lord your God. To modernize that, what he's saying is you need to bring it to the local church. Now, I want to encourage you when you hear all that not to get so tangled up in the agricultural language and, and don't let the, the word first fruits kind of throw you for a loop. Uh, what I need you to remember is, is that as farmers, man, these people consider their livestock and their crops, that was their income. And so just as you guys go to work, I go to work, they went to work, and what they got from their work, that was considered their income. That's why God was using this language. And so it's no different than us today. And, and so at the core, what we're seeing through these verses is that, once again, that, that we give 10% of our money, we give it back to God, and we give it to the church, right? Now, when it comes to that word first fruits, please don't miss this. That's just a biblical way of saying that we should give first. Somebody say first. first. So, or, or to modernize this for a second, that we should tithe off of our gross income. See, we all understand our gross income is the total amount that we get paid. That is our first fruit. Our net income is what's left over after Uncle Sam has taken what he thinks is his. Right, so, so biblically speaking, our gross income is what God considers to be first fruits. Now, I, I realize there are loads of people out there that they basically don't think that the principle of first fruits matters. They think that they can give to God whenever they want, meaning that I can pay this bill, that bill, this bill, and then we'll get around to it. Or they think, well, I can pay uh, and give whatever, uh, you know, my tithe, you know, whatever's left that I want to give it. Whatever I call it is that, it's that. Okay, but I want to tell you, I strongly disagree with that for scriptural reasons. Let me give you two verses. Genesis 4, 3 through 5, it says this. It says, and in the process of time. Somebody say in the process of time. That's key for this verse. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of what? The first fruit of his flock and of their fat. It says, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. See, when I became a Christian, I, I really wrestled with that, that verse. I, like, I couldn't figure out why God respected Abel's offering and he rejected Cain's. And there's a lot that I could say here, but I'll simply say this. Is I want to point out, notice it said in the process of time. Or if I could put a different language to it, when he got around to it. Right? That Cain brought an offering. But it says that Abel also brought of the firstborn, if you read the Amplified, it says the finest, the first fruit of his flock. And so once again, what was the outcome? Here's the guy that brings it whenever he wants to. Here's the guy that made it a priority. God rejected Cain's offering, right? But he accepted Abel's offering because it had to do with their hearts. Because basically to, to Abel, he said, God, you're important enough to receive the first and the best. Where Cain said, you know what? Eh, I got other things. I think I'm more important. I'll give it to you when I want to. Now, fast forward to Judges chapter 6, verse 19, to paint the picture here. Basically, the children of Israel had went around, you know, where the walls of Jericho for seven days. They lifted up a shout, and after they lifted up a shout and the walls fall, it says in verse 19 that Joshua shouted to his army. It says, but all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated. 
They're set apart. They're holy to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Now, now why did he say that? The reason he said it's because Jericho, if you read through uh, Joshua, it was the first city that they conquered, right? And as the first city, that meant that the first fruits of, of the bounty, if you will, meant it belonged to God. And if you don't believe me, that's why if you keep reading the story, God's judgment came upon a man named Achan and his family because he foolishly took what belonged to the Lord. In other words, he acted as if the first fruit of the silver and the first fruit of the gold that they were his to take. And what happened? Ultimately, we know that they drew lots. God said, that's him, that's him, that, that's family. Yep, and they all died. Judgment came, right? Because why? Because first fruits matter to God. And let me maybe pause here and say something. I, I realize that in a lot of homes, um, I, I haven't had somebody approach me this morning, and I've had this conversation for years. The wife says, let's tithe, and the husband says, no, thank you. I want you to pay attention to what we just read. Like, please notice, this isn't a thing to scare you. This is like, let's take note of the Word of God and understand the Word of God is serious. That that man chose to take something that wasn't his, it belonged to God, and ultimately his family is the one that paid the price. So please, men in this room, don't think that, oh, it's just a disagreement between me and my wife. No, it's not. It's a disagreement between you and God. Okay? And I'll even say this, kind of add something I haven't said the other two services. I have a friend that him and his wife for years were in disagreement. Uh, he wanted to tithe off the net. She wanted to tithe off the gross. And for years and years and years, they tried to get pregnant and they couldn't get pregnant. When they finally realized what the word of God says about this subject, and they began to tithe off the first fruit, off the gross, literally within a month, they got pregnant. So nobody can tell me that God doesn't take this stuff serious. So once again, I think to believe that the first fruits are not important, man, it's unwise to think that. So, so I can say only this for myself. This is why for the past 20 years, you know, every time that Jennifer and I get paid, the first, you know, money that goes out, it isn't to a mortgage company, it isn't to CMP, it isn't to Walmart, Amazon, so forth. The first money that goes out always comes to the anchor church because this is our church family. Okay, now let, let's bring all those things that I said, let's bring it together. Let me show you a verse, Deuteronomy 26, 1 and 2. You're going to see all the points right here. It says, Then it shall be when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, and you take possession of it and live in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce or your income of the ground which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God gives you. He gives it to you. It says, And you shall put it in a basket... And go to the place. What's the place? It's the tabernacle where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name, his presence. It's the church. All right, now let me show you what happens. Because today I don't want to just tell you what the word of God says. I also want to build your faith. Notice what happens when we are obedient. Look at Romans eleven sixteen. It says, for if the first fruit is holy. In other words, if we actually bring the first fruit dedicated to the Lord and we give it to him. What happens? It says the lump or the whole income is also holy. Get that. When we give the 10% that God is saying that he makes the rest of it holy. Amen. So, and the reason is, is because it's the first fruit that carries the blessing, not the 90%. 
See, this is why what we read a while ago in in Proverbs 3, we read verse 9, but let's read it through verse 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of your crops. What happens when you do that? Verse 10, then after you do that, your barns, your life will be filled with overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. In other words, what God is saying, if you're generous with the 10%, he'll be generous with the 90. He's going to take care of you. See, Billy Graham said this years ago, and I, and I think to me this is a trusted man of God in the faith that, that I would say that not just America, but people around the world, they trusted him. He said this. He said, we have found, talking about his own, his own family, we have found in our home that God's blessing upon the 90% when we tithe helps it to go farther than the 100% without his blessing. What's he saying? He's saying, I, I, I've lived in a way that we withheld the 10% and we tried to live off the 100 and it didn't work so well. But we've also lived in a way where we gave our tithe. We gave the part that was the first fruit to the Lord and that 90% that was left over, God's blessing came on it and it went way further than what the 100% ever would have. That's what he's saying. All right, so, so right there up top, here's what I just did. I just gave you basically tithing 101. That's it. So, so that's really the who, the what, the when, the where, and the how much concerning tithe. And so let me break it down for you one more time. Notice the who, it's you, okay, it's me. What's the what? That's our income. What's the when? That's the first fruits, okay? That's before we do anything else, before we, we give money in any other direction, we say, God, we're honoring you because you're our source. And then the where is the local church and the how much is 10%. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. All right, so with all that said, I realize that there are a lot of people who have what I would consider to be misinformed and misguided arguments in and outside the church when it comes to the topic of tithe. And in my opinion, those said arguments, they're often built off assumptions and they're often built off accusations against the church. They're built off people's greed and they're truthfully, they're built off ignorance of the word of God. Okay, and so I think instead of buying into that, man, we need to understand that, that we need to build what we think about this topic, A, from a posture of love, not legalism, and second, we need to study the Scripture and know what the Bible says. Amen? So, so one of the more common arguments of why people don't tithe is because they say this. Well, they say, well, the tithe is under the law, and we're not under the law, we're under grace. Like, I've heard that so many times. Now, I'll admit that sounds logical. The the only issue with that train of thought is it's unbiblical. Okay, and the reason we know that is because Abraham, who the book of Galatians says is the father of the faith. So basically our roots in our faith go all the way back to Abraham. We are the seed and the offspring of Abraham, okay? So so we got to understand that Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek 430 years before the law of Moses was established. So we have to understand that the biblical principle of tithe was established before Moses was even born. Let me show you. Look at Genesis 14. These these are some wordy passages, but I want to break it down for you, and hopefully it'll make sense when I'm done. Genesis 14, 18 through 20. It says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. What's he doing? He's basically, he's just, he's just blessing him. Okay? He's acknowledging who God is and he's blessing him. And then it says, and Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe or a tenth of all. Of everything that he received, he gave it to him. Now, now let's fast forward to the New Testament 
where the New Testament actually talks about this encounter. If you go to Hebrews, if you read Hebrews 5, 6, and 7, it talks a lot about Melchizedek, and it talks about the new covenant, okay, which is what those people say where we're under grace, okay? So it's from there. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 and 3. Let's look at it. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter on the kings and blessed him. So basically, Melchizedek went to him and met him. It says, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated. That means basically what's Melchizedek translated into, king of righteousness. And then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God, remains a priest continually. All right, there's a lot there. So, there's a few things I want us to recognize from these two passages of Scripture. The first thing is this, is I want you to notice the meal that Melchizedek served Abraham. It, it was bread and wine, right? So that's two items that make up what? Communion, right? So, so it was two items that make up basically the blood and the, and the body of Jesus Christ. The second thing I want you to notice is that Melchizedek is a king and a priest, so biblically, we understand that from Genesis Revelation, there's not another person outside of Jesus that holds both offices, king and priest, okay? He is the king of kings, and he is the priest of the Most High God. And so also, he is the king of righteousness, and he is the king of peace, or we could say the prince of peace, right? So thirdly, I want you to notice that Melchizedek is eternal. He doesn't have beginning or end of life. Now, if any of that sounds familiar, it should, okay? And the reason is, for all those things, there's a lot of theologians that believe that Abraham actually met Jesus back in Genesis 14, and I am one that agrees with that, okay? So here's the point that I want to make to you. I don't think it was some random dude. I think it was what, what is called in the theological world, it was a Christophany. Christo meaning Christ, often he means appearing. I think he actually met the pre-incarnate Christ and had an encounter with him. No different than Jacob, no different than Gideon, and so forth, right? And so here's the point I want to make is that 430 years before the law was ever implemented, Abraham, who's our spiritual father, tied to Melchizedek, who was either Jesus Christ himself or is a type of Christ if it's that, okay? You with me? All right, now here's what I want you to notice. Once again, People say, we're not under the law, we're under grace. Well, let's notice five verses down, we're still talking in the same train of thought. Hebrews 7 verse 8 says, here, talking about on earth, says mortal men receive tithes. In other words, we get up, we receive a tithe, there's a box in the back, some of us, okay? It says, but there, talking about heaven, he, Jesus, receives them of whom is it a witness that he lives. In other words, that he resurrected. So according to that verse, when, when, when you and I give our tithe, if it's cash, check, if it's online, man, we may think that we're giving it to, you know, Three Cross Street, you know, whatever, in Rockport, to a church, a physical location. But in, according to that scripture, in a very real spiritual sense, Jesus receives the tithe in heaven. So let me make it plain for you like this. You know, I have a lot of friends that are pastors and they know what everybody gives in the church. They, they, they say to themselves, man, I want to know who the big givers are. I want to know. And that doesn't settle well with me. So what I do is, I, is, is there's people here on staff that will tell you, I get basically a top number. That's what I get. And I get a P&L at the end of the month. And so I know what's happening financially. But I don't know what people give or who gives. And the reason is because I don't want that to, to lead my heart in any direction if I have to deal with someone in a very open and honest way. 
Okay, so, so that's why I do that, to protect my own heart and to protect people because I don't want to pastor people differently, right? And, and so, but I want us to know that even though I may not know, according to that scripture, he knows. He knows every person that gives. Why? Because he is in heaven and he's the one receiving it. And so if I could just maybe say something to, in case there's anybody in the room that says we're, we're under grace, we're not under the law, I want you to realize that scripture we just read is under the new covenant, and it's a covenant of grace. That was not written in the law. So, so that argument does not lay on that. It doesn't work. Okay, now let's fast forward a few more decades just because I want us to see this. Genesis 28, uh, we obviously know we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is now Abraham's grandson. It says, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and the stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house, shall be Bethel, right? The house of God. And then it says this last thing, and all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So again, once again, to those who are opposed to the tithe, here's Jacob, not, not in the law, but hundreds of years before the law of Moses, before Moses is even alive. He's having this, this incredible encounter with God. He's having this moment of consecration. He's making a commitment to God. He's making a vow. And he says this, God, whatever you give me, I promise, not from legalism, not for somebody twisting my arm, not because of some church service. I'm going to do it because simply I'm grateful for that. You're going to bless me the way you're going to bless me. And from a heart of love, I'm going to give it all back to you amen all right so so let's let's drill down more into what people once again not under the law under grace let's drill down that do you fast forward right so we got abraham isaac and jacob we know jacob had 12 sons joseph was in egypt we know that that basically god uh, took care of of jacob and the rest of the kids through the famine then we know that pretty much all those guys got old. They died. Pharaoh didn't have a clue about Joseph. He didn't have a clue about, uh, you know, the, the covenant or the promises that were made. And then all the Israelites, they end up in slavery, right? And they're in slavery for hundreds of years. And for hundreds of years, they basically took on the slave mindset. And then one day, uh, God raised up Moses, right, as the deliverer. And he led them out of Egypt. Now, it's key to understand what happened while he was leading them out. Obviously, they were in the wilderness. Moses got invited by God to come up to Mount Sinai. God downloaded to him what we know as the law, okay? Why did God give the law? Here's the core reason. Don't miss this. It's because he took them out of Egypt, and now he had to get Egypt out of them, they had a mindset of, of basically that was unbiblical, that was not kingdom-like. It was a poverty slave mentality. And so he gave them the law, not as a bunch of rules and regulations, because he was trying to get them to know, example, Ten Commandments, first five, here's how you treat me. Last five, here's how you treat each other. And in the middle of that, God included the tithe that went back once again all the way to Abraham. They said, okay, here's part of the covenant. I want to bless you. There's a line of blessed people. And now I want to show you how you actually handle your money and this is how you need to do it this is how i come i bless them and this is how i'm going to bless you it's the system at work for women say oh yeah. oh yeah all right so here's what people say they say okay because the because the tithe was included into the law that now that it must mean that it's obsolete that we shouldn't do it so what they're saying is if i can put a different language to it they're saying if don't miss this that if it was right under the law then it's now wrong under grace. 
it's right under the law, that it's wrong under grace. And let's say for conversation uh, that they're correct. Okay? If that's true, and I'm just a simple boy from Alabama, but if that's true, that must mean that all the other things that were under the law, okay, are also now obsolete. Okay? So, so let's just say, if I came to you today, uh, you know, whatever, present an argument to you that murder, that adultery, that lying, and that stealing, because they were forbidden under law, it's now okay because we're under grace. So if you don't like somebody, yeah, wax them. Do what you need to do. Kill them. It's cool, right? If you want to cheat on your spouse, go ahead. It's all right. If you want to run around lying, cool. If you want to steal anything, go, go in our cars. Go take it. God will bless it. Isn't it funny I say that and I don't even settle right with you? Right? And, and, and kind of here's the point that I want to make is that is we have to understand that when we're talking about all these things, it's eternal principles. And so if murder, adultery, lying, and stealing were all wrong before the law, we all understand in our hearts that they're still wrong after the law. Right? And so likewise, I think if, if tithing was right in the law, why wouldn't it still be right today? And if I could even say it like I really want to, is, is if, the, if tithing actually precedes the law, then why wouldn't it supersede the law? All right, let's shift gears one more time. There, there's people that say this, well, well, Jesus never talked about the tithe. That's not true. Okay, let me give you a verse. Matthew 23, 23. It says, woe to you, this is Jesus talking, it's in red. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Pay attention to the next three words, please. It says, for you tithe, for you tithe, mint and dill and cumin. That's spices, right? So nobody's just saying you're, you're so meticulous that you're even tithing basically your, your spice cabinet. Okay? And it says, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now, what's the next few words, please? He says, these you ought to have done. What's the these you ought to have done? That's tithe. In other words, that's a given. You should have done that without neglecting the others. What's that? The others, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And so... If we could just see here that, that Jesus is rebuking them for not showing justice, for not showing mercy, and not showing faith. Because why? Because that was wrong. I'm crazy enough to believe that if he thought tithing was wrong, he would have corrected it too at that moment. Instead, that's not what he did. He said, that's right, keep doing that. But hey, dude, don't forget this. That's what he said. And so if we want to look at it, because all these people act like, well, it's not in the New Testament. It is in the New Testament. But, but if I could swing the other direction and say this to y'all, please tell me anywhere where you see Jesus, the Apostle Paul, Peter, Apostle John, or any of the other apostles actually giving us a verse somewhere that says we need to stop doing it. It's not in there. And I'm not saying that for argument's sake, I'm just like, man, for information's sake that I hope turns into revelation, that, that we would understand that all throughout the New Testament, Jesus actually tells us to stop doing certain things. Paul tells us to stop doing certain things. Go read Hebrews. They say, hey, look, you don't have to kill animals anymore. 
Jesus is the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the earth, right? So, so, so there is a balancing out of the law and grace, if you will, all throughout it, but that's never mentioned. If anything else, I believe that the new covenant encourages you and I to lean in more into the spirit of generosity, right? So we can bless others and so that we can be a part of what God's doing in the kingdom in this day. All right, so here's what I want to do. I, I, want, to, I want to land this by showing you what I would say is probably the hallmark portion of Scripture when it comes to tithe, okay? So it comes from Malachi chapter 3. And once again, people say it's under the law, but I want you to notice the first words here, okay? I'm going to freelance here for a bit. It says, uh, for I am the Lord, I do not change. So the argument about the law, throw it out because of those four words. He's immutable. He doesn't change, right? So it's a principle. Let, let me, can I actually stop real quick? Let me stop, let me stop, 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 stop. I need to say something. Paul's right there. We'll get there in a second. So all these people that want to talk about, uh, you know, once again, law and grace and Jesus and all this. So, so let me actually paint a picture for you because I think this is important. So we know that Moses went up the Mount of Sinai and that's where he received the law. Fast forward to Matthew 5, Jesus went up on the mount and he preached a famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And if you read through that sermon, you'll find again and again, he says, basically, Moses said, but I say. And so what he was doing from the same position is he was clarifying the heart behind the law. So here's the verses. Let me give you some and you're going to know it. Here we go. You have heard it said of old, thou shalt not murder. But I would say to you, if anyone hates his brother in his heart, then he has already committed murder. You have heard said of old, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks upon a woman or a man lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. So, so did he do away with the law there or did he bring it up a whole nother level? Because what he did was he brought it from just raw action and he brought it to heart motives. So, so we have to understand that when Jesus, you know, once again, kept doing this, he never dishonored Moses in the law, not one time. What he did was is he brought all those commandments, he brought them down to one, love. Because why? Because if you understand, you go back, you look at Abraham, he gave out of love, Jacob gave out of love, and then there was the law where they were kind of told to give. And then he's bringing us back to, hey, you need to get back to, you need to be a cheerful giver. You need to give from a heart of love. Amen. All right, we'll go back to this. Here we go. For I am the Lord, I do not change. It says, therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. What he's saying is this, because I made a covenant with with uh, Abraham and I made a covenant with Jacob. That's the reason you're still breathing that I haven't killed you. That's what he said. Verse seven, it says, yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances. Ordinance is simply this. It's just ordinary behavior. In other words, what's expected. Once again, in context, we're talking about tithing. It's just expected. It's ordinary behavior for God's kids. It says, and have not kept them. He said, return to me and I will return to you. This is really important because he said, return to me. Well, you're going to notice in a second when he says how to return to him, it's not by praying more. It's not by reading more. It's not by going to church more. It's actually by giving. So watch this. It says, return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. It says, but you said, in what way shall we return? 
Will the man rob God, yet you have robbed me? He says, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? Pause. For years, I thought, how in the world am I going to rob God? How am I going to beat him up and take something from him? Like, that didn't make sense to me, right? And, uh, you, you know, I'm just thinking, because that's what, that's what I was taught, right? If you, if you steal, you, you basically, they're not watching. You take something, if you rob them, there's a physical altercation, and you take something from them. And I just thought, man, how am I going to rob God? First of all, let me just say this. God doesn't need my, my, my little $10 from my tithe. Like, he, he owns everything. Like, he doesn't need that. So what are we talking about here in context? He owns the cattle on the thousand hill. He owns everything. But what I finally realized is this, and this is a, a revelation that I hope you grab, is, is what are we robbing God from? We're not robbing him from an amount of money. We're robbing him. We are taking away from him the opportunity and the ability to bless us. The best example I've ever heard that kind of describes what that looks like, like y'all know I got a gang load of kids. And um, so if I said to one of them, I said, hey, look, um, this week there's some chores I want you to do. And at the end of the week, if you do those things, I'll give you 20 bucks. And then we fast forward and we get to the end of the week and they haven't done any of them. Now, the question is, is what did they rob me of? They didn't, they didn't take the 20 bucks from me what they took from me by their unwillingness to do what I asked them to do, that they took away my opportunity to bless them as a good dad. It's the same way for us when it comes to this. So he says this. It says, you are cursed with a curse because you didn't tithe. You're cursed with a curse for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Notice he didn't say that, that he cursed us. He didn't say that. What he's saying is, is because we're not obeying him or we're not operating from his financial system. We're stepping away from that, and there's only other one other system. That's the world system. And the Bible's really clear that, that that system's cursed. It doesn't work. If you don't believe me, go look at our budget as a nation. It doesn't work, right? And so, and so all these people, I say this, that, 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 how can I say this in a really nice way? Like, how many people have I met over the years that, that they're struggling financially, and if you ask them, hey, do you tithe, the answer is always no. Like, they can't get ahead of themselves. They can't get out of their way. They can't. And I'm not saying that if you tithe, you won't ever have a financial crisis, but the difference is God comes through there, and on this one, you're stuck because you're under a curse. So even if I can say it to you this way, it is, is I would rather, you may not like this, but it's cool, would you rather have 100% of your income that's under a curse or would you be able to have access to 90% of your income that's blessed? That's an easy decision to me, okay? All right, so it says this. Once again, how do we return to you? Verse 10 is the answer. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Okay, now let me clarify something here. Once again, people may get upset. Cool, all right. The storehouse is this. It's not a missionary organization. It's not evangelists on TV. It's not your neighbor who needs some help. Okay, the storehouse, according to the scripture of what we just read, it is the local church. Okay, and so what happens is, like with me, I give tithe here, but there's part of our income that goes to those other ministries that are our offerings. Yes? All right. And then it says this, why do you bring it to the storehouse that there may be food in my house? This might be the most 
selfish sounding thing I'm going to say today, and I don't mean it that way, but I want you to understand something. Like if you notice right now, the AC's running. There's lights. The door was unlocked when you got here. The parking lot didn't have a two feet of snow in it. Right? If you notice today, we had a children's pastor. We have a worship pastor. We got a youth pastor. We got a senior pastor. To, to understand that the, the things that all of us enjoy when we come to church, the things that are available for our kids and for our teenagers, all that, to understand that, that we would not be able to do, I would not be able to do what I do right now. I would not be able to feed you the word of God really to the level that I do if I had to go work 40, 50, 60 hours to be able to take care of my family. Like, I hope you guys understand that, right? Because I didn't, you know, at nine o'clock last night go, man, I got to talk tomorrow. What am I going to talk about? Like, this has been a, a lot of hours this week searching stuff. So I make sure that everything I say to you is biblical and right and not just my opinion. And, and that I'm giving you the word of God because I take it serious that I'm called to feed and to lead. Right? So I hope that you feel that your kids are well-fed, that you're well-fed, that the worship experience is good. So I hope you understand that when you sow into this ministry, it helps us do all those things. Make sense? All right. Watch this. Here's the whole reason I'm reading this. Notice the next word. And try or test or prove me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. All those people that I've met over the years that are struggling financially, they say this, I don't have enough money to tithe. And I want to say you don't have enough money to tithe because you don't tithe. And I'm going to tell you in a minute from experience why I'm saying this. This is stuff that we live, okay? I have a, I have a testimony in all this that I can say yes to. So, so understand that that scripture right there, God is saying, look, if you're struggling with this wrestling with, try me on it. Watch what I'll do. It's the only place in the entire Bible where God says we can test him in something. The only place. And so what he's saying is, is, man, I will prove to you that if you operate under my financial system that you don't have to worry about it, that my blessings will come. Watch this. It says it'll be like this. Test me now if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be no room enough to receive it. Windows of heaven. You understand in the Bible, that is only mentioned in three places. The first one is with the flood. How many of y'all know it rained more than a drop? All right. Second one is the windows of heaven opened and manna came out to feed the Israelites for 40 years. According to Jewish rabbis, that's like 65,000, I can't remember the exact number, 65,000 tons of manna that they ate off the ground. Windows of heaven. So come now that he's saying this to us. Will I not open up the windows of heaven to you? Now, what I'm not saying is, is if you give $10, he's going to give you $1,000. not what I'm saying. I am saying that he will give you everything that you need to live how you need to live and then to be a blessing to other people. He will meet your needs. In other words, you will find yourself as a blessed person running into coincidence after coincidence after coincidence where God just stepped in and moved. Okay? 27 years, I can say yes and amen to that. Watch this. It says, and I will, second thing he'll do, if you'll test him. He says, I will rebuke the devourer, who's that? That's the devil, for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail 
to bear fruit for you in the field. In other words, I will rebuke the devourer off of your finances. So in the same way that it's the only place in the Bible that God says that you can test him, this is the only place in the entire Bible that God says he'll rebuke the devil for you. All the other places say that uh, you have to do it because he gave you the authority. So I don't know about you, okay? But once again, I would rather have my 90% because I gave the 10% that's sacred to the Lord and then know that, you know what, that he's rebuking the devil off that 90%. Versus I'm out here trying to do it on my own and hold it all together at 100%. And the devil's just eating my lunch. See, I'm, I'm crazy enough to believe that God will take that old dishwasher and that old washing machine and that old car and make it last a whole lot longer than it should. Because y'all know they don't make them like they used to. Right? Yes, amen. Amen. I'm scaring some of y'all. That's all right. Here we go. Now I want you to notice the last verse, and, and, and we'll move on, and I'll let you breathe a little bit. Okay, here we go. Verse 12, it says, in all nations, get that, all nations, all the people around you will call you blessed. In other words, they'll see that the hand of God's on you. That's why I sit down with people and talk with them, and I'm like, they're incredible, just like they're well-to-do people, the life of God's all them. Every time I sit down and talk to them, they're, they, they are tithers, and they give loads of offerings. And God, basically what happens is, is because God knows he can get it through their hand, so he gets it in their hand because he'll know to keep moving, and they're just blessed people. It's awesome, right? So then it says this, And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land. What's these last words? Says who? Does it say Quentin? Did it say Malachi? Did it say some preacher on TV? No, no, it says the Lord of hosts. And what I'm trying to get at, it's a promise from, from him. See, that's why it says in Numbers 23, 19, where he says, For I'm not a man that I should lie, nor a son of man that I should change my mind. He says, Have I not spoken and will not fulfill it? Have I not promised and will I not do it? It's a promise that you and I can grab a hold of. So here's what I want to show you, okay? Just a testimony from my own life when, when this verse, this passage came real to me, okay? Some of y'all might have heard me say when I first got saved, I, I was a late teenager. I got saved senior in high school, and I went to Bible college. Didn't have really any backing because none of my family was Christians. And, but my grandmother uh, loved me. Thank God for grandmas. And she would send me once a week for the next three and a half years while I was in Bible college a, an envelope, it had a napkin in it, and a $20 bill. No note, no I love you, bless you, hope you're doing good, nothing, just $20. And, and I heard about this thing called tithing at that time, and I said, you know what, okay, $2, it's yours, Lord. And I tithed $2, and if there was something there, God moved my heart, I'd give an offering, and I ate a whole lot of ramen noodles, okay, because that's how you survive, Right? So anyway, so, so I lived like that for years. I finally got my first job at a church making $20,000. Stay true, okay? Because once again, it's just 10 cents on every dollar. Same thing, $2,000 with the Lord, right? Tithing offerings, yep, easy. So offerings with other ministries, did that. So then things shifted for me, though, when, when I left that job. Then I started picking up odds and end jobs. And here's the deal, at that time, I, I had a car payment, and I just had to feed myself. That was it. had free housing, but, but I didn't have a job. The Lord told me not to work, a normal job. Now, I was helping people move. I was substituting school. I was preaching. I was doing all kinds of things, um, but, but just being faithful, and I never looked at my money 
I just kind of put it away, never looked at it until basically it was time to pay the bills. And every time for the next two years, I had money. Thank God. Still tie, still did all that, right? Okay, Jennifer and I got married. And I didn't make, I think the first job I had while we were together, because we moved right after we got married, I don't think I made, like, net income more than $12,000 that year. Y'all, I was broke, Okay. Had a car payment of $430, and I had a, a house payment. My, my rent was $500 a month. Go with me. Throw in gas, throw in some ramen noodles, some bologna sandwiches. I kept tithing, okay? Jennifer got a little side gig. She was working at a bread store. Uh, man, best cookies you've ever put in your mouth. Uh, we, got, we got free food. That was awesome. And so, anyway, so she worked there for a few months. We were doing okay, uh, you, you know, we were, we were doing all right. There was plenty of weeks where we had like $4 for the last week of the month, and we just kind of did what we did, okay? We just survived. But at the beginning of the month, every time we tithe, gave offering where God told us to. And then Jen came home one day and said, hey, the, the boss told me that because of the holiday season's over, they're cutting back my hours, and she went from like 20-something hours to like 10, and I looked at what I made and what she made, and it was a uh-oh moment. Hear what I'm about to say. We didn't call mom and dad. We called on the Lord Jesus. Right? Because we wanted to be people that knew how to live by faith. Because how could I ever preach it if I never lived it? Okay? And so here we are. I'm looking at Jennifer, and I realize, because if you don't know, I've had open-heart surgery. i got a pacemaker, so I, I'm like, okay, I need medical insurance. Uh, this isn't good for me to be rolling around like this. And so we looked into it, and it was going to be $700 a month. Y'all doing the math? Like, was not working. Like, I already wasn't making enough money, okay? Like, eating ramen noodles and, uh, you know, praying that people would take us to lunch. Seriously, so, so that we could eat, okay? And so, and so here we are struggling, and one night I just said, okay, enough's enough. Grabbed her hand, we're laying in bed, and I said, God, you said in your word that if I would tithe and I would give offerings, you would open up the windows of heaven over our lives. Father, Jennifer and I are not looking to a man. A man is not our source. We're looking to you. God, you said it. We believe it. And then I begin to pray, Lord, I need you to handle something with this insurance. God, I ask you in the name of Jesus that you would give my wife another job. God, I ask in the name of Jesus that you give me a raise. God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I ask you to do it. That was a Tuesday night. The next morning, I went to work. Nobody knows because I don't believe in faith without hints is dead. I believe in faith. Okay, I believe Jesus hears us when we pray. We can't sing it, right, and not live it. And so I went to work that day, and I remember I was walking down the hallway, and I, I, was, I was in housekeeping at the church that I, that I uh, anyways, that's what I was doing. I was housekeeping. And the senior pastor walked by. I don't know if we slapped a high five, whatever. I said, good morning. He said, good morning. And then he got about 10 steps behind me. He said, hey, Quentin, I turned around. He said, hey, if, uh, if a job comes open here, do you think Jen would want it? Yes, sir. So I kind of, okay. He went to a meeting. I went to the youth room. I was straightening up chairs. 
and, uh, you know, just getting it ready for the youth pastor that night. And, uh, and then, I don't know, about 30, 45 minutes later, here came the, uh, the executive pastor, the, the, the money guy. He came in and he said, hey, I was talking to pastor, and uh, I just want you to know that um, we know that you need some insurance. He said, we know it's a lot, but we're going to take care of it. And he said, oh, by the way, um, so-and-so's leaving today, and we're going to give Jen his job. And he said, oh, also, we're going to give you a raise. That's been 20 years. <laughs> Dude, he left the room, and I cried, and I cried, and I cried, because Jesus is faithful. <laughs> right? Here what I'm, I'm going to stress this again, please. I did not call a soul. I prayed. I did what the word says. I wasn't living under curse, and God took care of me and my wife. Right? Like, to bring it perspective, okay? That's her daddy right there. I told him I will take care of her. And I have nothing. I had Jesus, though. Right? And so, so here's the thing. Fast forward all these years. I had one other moment where I said this. I said, I said, Lord, it'd be a whole lot easier if I didn't have to tithe. We had one kid at the time. Only time I was brave enough to say that. I was in the closet in our little apartment, and I prayed that because I was frustrated. I got a call as God is my witness within a week from my pastor. Hey, Quentin. Hey, man, I was praying. And uh, I want you to know, man, I'm going to give you, and I think it was like a $400 raise. Yeah. So, so in this room right now, to put in perspective, there's people in this room that knows what it's like to have thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of school debt and to get a letter in the mail. I'm telling you true stories. Just not pointing them out. And, and literally, hey, here's the amount you had. Basically, it's absolved. Don't worry about it. Like significant amount of money gone. There's people in this room that have prayed. They, all these people live this, what we're talking, and God, we need a car. God gave them cars. Do you understand the plural there? Right? There's people in this room that literally been in spots where they needed a certain amount of money. They didn't tell a soul. Either a check came in the mail or somebody felt led to give them something. And, and what happened was is it was down to the dollar, down to the cent of what they needed. So let me even tell you, because I forgot to tell you on that story, even though that day was really awesome and I cried a whole, whole lot, like literally cried like for hours the rest of the day. Guess what? I still didn't have any money in the bank and I still didn't have any groceries at home. Here's what happened. We went to church this, that night. I have to tell you this. Can't believe I forgot it. Went to church that night and, you know, we did our thing. We, we, we served in the church because that's the right thing to do. We helped in the youth. That's anyways, what we did. And anyway, so we went through the youth service, and I was talking to somebody, I can't remember, a kid, an adult, something. And I look, and, and there's Jen talking to a lady uh, that I had known because she had a daughter in the youth group. And, and so they were talking, and they finally got done, and, and Jennifer and I uh, got in the car, and she said, baby, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? She said, when she was talking to me, this is a woman I've had known for years, 
Um, her husband was in the military. He was stationed in Iraq. He was over there fighting. He was in, I think, the 82nd Airborne. And uh, he was fighting, and she was at home, and she was having loads of health issues. She was probably early 40s. She was having blockages in her in her neck and part of her body. And so she was living in a tremendous amount of fear, thinking she was going to have a stroke or she was going to have a heart attack. And she had had two fixed, but she had three that needed to be fixed. And so one day she said she was praying and she felt like the Lord told her, talked to her husband. So she called her husband and said, hey, look, I, I want to sow into Quentin and Jennifer's life. She didn't really know us. I want to sow into their life. And when we do, I want to believe that's a seed that God's going to heal me. He said, I can get on board with that. And they prayed as a couple, said amen. She came to church on that Wednesday night. Remember Wednesday morning, my world got turned upside down. She came to church Wednesday night. She was sitting in the main sanctuary. We were in the youth room. Worship was happening, and our pastor ran up to the platform. And he said, look, God just spoke to me. And he said that there's, there's people in here that you have blockages, and you are afraid that you're going to have a heart attack or a stroke. And if that's you, God wants to heal you. Some people ran up to the front. She stayed in her seat. She said she just lifted up her hands, and the power of God hit her. And all those things, she felt open, and she felt the blood start flowing normally in her body. God healed her, okay? She went to the doctor's school, right? So, so while she was talking to Jen, I noticed Jen had a book in her hand. And so we got in the car, and she told me kind of the testimony of what happened with her. And then she opened up the, remember, we don't have no money. She opened up the book. There was $500 in it. In addition to that, she also filled our trunk up full of groceries. We had no food at home. The next day, I went to work, and a woman saw me. She said, hey, I was praying, and Jesus told me to give you this. That was a good, good two days. <laughs> Amen. So, so what's my point, man, is that 27 years I've been living this, okay? And I have learned, I'm going to throw a slide up for you here, that, that as long as we give generously, willingly, proportionally, that's our tithe, lovingly, cheerfully, sacrificially, as unto the Lord, then what happens is, is if you can do that without allowing your natural circumstances to dictate what you do in your faithful giving... God will always come through. 27 years testimony. There's other people I can hand the mic to you right now, okay? Amen. So here's my prayer for y'all this morning is, is that I would, my prayer was is that I gave you information today that that information would turn in revelation for you. That somehow that it would stir your faith that you wouldn't look at this as some law thing, but you would look at it as, man, as a loving God that loves you and he wants to help you in life. He's trying to get something in your hand. Once again, a verse I say all the time, if God didn't spare his own son, how much more would he also freely give you all things? Amen? All right, can you stand to your feet? I have one question and statement that I want to say, and then I'm going to be done. The question is this, is what is the Holy Spirit telling you? Quinn's telling you, what is the Holy Spirit telling you? Second thing I want to say is, is the greatest gift that you could ever give to God is not your tithe. The greatest gift you could ever give to God is your life. And so if you don't know Jesus in this place, if you don't know him as your personal Lord and Savior, then today's a great day to know him. Amen? Amen. Can you close your eyes? 
Father, I thank you for every person that's in this room. Lord, I thank you that you know all of us by name and that you have a plan and a purpose for us. And Lord, I'm simply asking today, God, the, the information that we've heard today, Lord, I'm asking God that it would bring uh, revelation into our lives. Lord, I pray that we would have the proper perspective of you and that we would be people who understand how the kingdom works and we would begin to function and operate as kingdom people. And so, Lord, however you want to do that in our lives, Lord, I trust you, God, with every single person. As I said earlier, Lord, I realize that my job is to preach the word. The rest is between you and everybody else in this room. And so, Lord, whatever you got to say, we give you permission to say it. Whatever needs to be shifted, we give you permission to shift it. God, you can do what you do. And, Lord, if there's any person in this room today that doesn't know you, Lord, we simply just come in agreement with them at this moment, and we say, Jesus, save me. Save me. God, that's the greatest thing. You gave your son as a gift to us. And so, Lord, in response to that, we give you our lives. And we thank you and we accept salvation. We accept forgiveness of our sins. And, God, we thank you that you exchange our hearts, God, with a new heart that loves you. And so, Lord, however you want to work that, God, with each individual, Lord, we thank you for doing it. Lord, I bless your people. I thank you, God, that your hand's upon them. Lord, I thank you for your plan and purpose being fulfilled in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.